Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to A Hoops Journey, episode 84, and uh, a special one as we have the opportunity with the uh, Boys Provincial Championships uh, right around the corner in a couple days to sit down with a gentleman who the name is familiar to many. I know many will know some of the stories he's going to share with us today and the things that he talks about, but also another dive into a great man who's given you know, a lot of his life to the game of basketball, 69 years as a player, coach, volunteer um, within BC um, at the high school level, a decorated playing career, which I'm not sure how much he's going to want to talk about. But uh, in case you didn't know, his name is on the main court at our provincial championships, and his name has been come up and been requested many times, and we are truly grateful as uncomfortable as he may be at points um, this evening with us, that uh, he decided to sit down and chat with us because I know there's a lot of people that are excited to hear his story and have him on our show. We have none other than Mr. Ken Winslade. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Very nice to be here tonight. Good. Even if you don't mean that, we'll take it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) How are you feeling? What's going through your mind as you think about having a, we'll call it a gap year um, with the provincial championships? I'm sure it's a time that you look forward to each year. Um, just between the games and the people that you get to see, what's going through your mind as we get ready to uh, to start the championships here? Well, I'm I'm happiest for the players. I I really felt sorry for them last year, missing the year, just knowing how important it is as part of their high school career to get a chance for the ones who did to play in a provincial championship. I uh, was really worried they were going to miss both years, but I was so pleased that. We were able to get this one underway and uh, at the last minute allow fans to come, which really provides the spirit to it. So while it was disappointing to lose a year, um, at least the grade 11 and 12 boys will get one chance to play. And to me, that was the part I really felt uh, disappointed with last year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. And uh, we we go to the Oak Bay tournament every year, and it was right when they it was mid December when they started making some new restrictions. And I remember hardly being able to talk to our guys. Like I got emotional because it was the first time it processed that it might not happen again. And I thought to myself, I, I couldn't even speak. I just said, "We have to talk about this later." But probably not going to have our tournament, you know, the Chancellor tournament, which is a big thing for them, and not be able to do that. And then just found myself getting really emotional. And so I can only imagine the mind of a you know sixteen, seventeen year old and it's great having the junior boys the last few days and, you know, your son Jason telling us about the amazing crowds that we've seen and that energy being back. So it's cool and um, we're thrilled, you know, and I'm sure you are too. Let's get right into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Take us back. Not that far back, right? You're not that old, but... What was your personal life like when you grew up? Where did you grow up? And how did basketball sort of start to to come to fruition for you and, and start to be something that was a part of your life? Well, I was fortunate to have grown up in New Westminster, which was back in the 40s and the 50s, a very, very high-level sports town. Um, it had uh, really good uh, community leagues for young people growing up. And uh, we played in our neighborhoods uh, our, our teams uh, in uh, softball, soccer, lacrosse, uh, all those sports we played as as young 10, 11, 12-year-old kids. Um, we played against each other. And, um, and so we were very fortunate in that regard. We had good facilities, and uh, we just played everything. And we met lots of friends. I've 
told the story many times when I met Stan Stewartson, my longtime friend, uh, 10 years old. We played against each other. Um, I was on the West End Flyers, and he was on the Spencer Tigers. And uh, <laughs> here's this uh, tall, skinny, left-handed batter in a softball game, and I'm trying to pitch and strike him out. And uh, we just uh, became friends forever after that time. So growing up in New Westminster, there was one, you know, one junior high. So everybody came together in the junior high. And then when we left junior high, we split and went to either Duke of Connaught or Trap Tech, which in my junior high, high school days, were two high-profile basketball schools. Um, Duke of Connaught had won, I think, four of the last six provincial championships and Tech was always in there, very competitive. But I was a hockey player growing up. Grew up in a hockey family. My uh, my dad got very involved and eventually became the president of the BC Amateur Hockey Association for a couple of years uh, after I left and went into basketball. But uh, I was playing uh, hockey mainly all through junior high and just playing around with the soccer and lacrosse and those other sports that we all played in the other times of the season. But uh, when I when I hit Duke of Connaught, um, all of a sudden I, uh, I was in a phys ed class one day and um, Bob Hindmarsh, who had just left UBC, was the new basketball coach. Ken Wright had left and gone out to Langley. He came up to me and he said, uh, you'll be trying out for the basketball team. He said, I've never played basketball. <laughs> and he said, uh, oh, well, he said, I think you might enjoy it. Why don't you try out for the team? So long and the short of it, tried out and made the junior team. And um, and we ended up uh, playing uh, out at UBC in the, at that time, BC final. Uh, lost to John Oliver in the BC final. And at the end of the season, uh, Coach Heimar says, I want you uh, to come up and play for the seniors in the BC tournament. And that was my great tenure. <laughs> so, well, I was thrilled to death to, to get out of, to UBC under that floor. And um, the, the opening game was against Mission. And I'm sitting on the bench at the end of the bench with another guy. And they're ready for the jump ball. And he says, he says watch this guy from Mission doing the jump. I says, oh, who's he? John Kutnikov. I says, oh, John Kutnikov. Never heard of the guy. And he said, well, you watch him jump. Well, Cootie just jumped out of the gym and took the jump ball. And that started a long friendship when John and I have become very, very close friends over the years for a variety of reasons. Anyway, uh, that was my start in basketball grade 10. I never played till grade 10. Uh, next year, I went on to grade 11, played for Connaught. We made the BC tournament. And um, you know, go, go back to the comment. In that time in the 50s, it was just every player's objective to get to UBC and play in the BC championship. I'm assuming it still is that way today that, you know, it was to get to the Agrodome and play in the Agrodome, or now it's to get to Langley and play in the BC tournament. That's always the ultimate. So so for me as a, as a young guy just starting out in basketball, it was quite something to play there. So anyway, we, uh, we played. I think we won, won one and lost two or something. And then... Across the street, Trap Tech won the BC Championship that year, which was to Duke of Kanata travesty that they would win the championship. <laughs> but that was the end. Uh, grade 11 was the end of Kanata and the end of Tech, and they built the new Lester Pearson. And okay, I was wondering reading about you. I was like, how did it go? Two to schools came together, okay. the defending champions, and then the Great Ten. And um, I'll maybe comment on that later. I won't get into that now. But uh, that, that became a very great team. 
So then I, I played in uh, Pearson, and uh, we won the BC Championship that year. And then I went on to UBC, played five years at UBC, went to uh, one year in Burnaby, and then I went back and did my master's degree the next year, and then taught at Burnaby Central for two years, coached and taught at Burnaby Central. And then I, uh, well, it's another long story, but I got a call <laughs> from the city of New Westminster asking me if I would come and take over their parks and recreation department. And that led to a, uh, a career of over 40 years with the city of New Westminster. And then I retired 20 years ago, and <laughs> here I am today. <laughs> and that's it for episode 84 of A Hoops Journey. Now. Why do you think the transition to playing basketball with having no experience with it was so seamless? Was it because you had played so many other sports and you just it was just an instinct thing? Or that's just interesting. You don't hear many people, they at least were exposed to basketball and then maybe got into it more. But to have limited to zero exposure and then to has having a coach saying, hey, come join us on the varsity team and soak it in. You've already got a coach who sees potential in you and you're months into your playing career, right? What do you think it was? I don't know. Yeah. I just I just started playing and uh, found out I, hmm, I'm pretty good at this game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, it always uh, keeps you motivated, yeah. And just sort of fell in love with the game, stopped playing hockey. Um, you know, I was just heading into midget hockey and stopped playing hockey. And uh, just a side comment on my hockey career. Uh, when I was 14, I was playing for the New Westminster Rep team, and we were playing at the uh, Forum in Vancouver. And uh, didn't realize at the time, but two of the opponents were John Ferguson and Tommy McPhee. No way. <laughs> 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 playing for the Vancouver Forum team. You know. So I don't know. I, I just loved the game. Yeah. I practiced, I practiced, I practiced, and um, there went went from there. Yeah, that's very cool. At what point you're in high school, are you thinking, yeah, I think I'd like to do this at the post-secondary level, or did it sort of just sort of fall into your lap, or was there conversation behind that? I mean... I never thought I could play at UBC, hmm. and uh, that's another story. Let of, alone uh, crack the top 10 all-time scoring <laughs> at some point, ladies and gentlemen, for yeah. the record. But um, after um, after a game uh, at UBC and the BC Championships, um, I was sitting down in the locker room and Bill Popwich, one of the teachers from the high school, came down and I was just sitting on the bench and I looked up and this tall guy is standing there and and he said, uh, Ken, he said, I'd like you to meet Peter Mullins. He's a coach at UBC. And I said, oh, okay. So I got up and said hi and he in his Australian accent said, um, he said, I like the way you play. He said, I hope you'll be trying out for the team next year. I said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so you didn't fall over. That's so unfortunately, uh, <laughs> um, he picked me to play for his team, and that that really started my career. Um, yeah. He uh, he was a great coach and um, really taught me how to play the game. Talk more about that. Like obviously, your high school team in your senior year, which we'll get to um, the rich history and all that. Some really competitive, good teams, but the university level and much bigger jump. How was that freshman year where you where you're uh, eyes wide open the whole time? Were you uh, adapting quickly on the fly? How did it go for you? Well, it was really kind of funny because I always, you know, I wasn't sure I could make the team. I wasn't sure I could make the starting five and whatever. And the and we went into a league against the senior men. So we, right. we started playing against 
people mm-hmm. from 1956 Olympic oh, team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Bob Pickell and Bob Bertwell and, and all these people. And we were these young kids out of high school, basically, with a couple of older people, but one of which was Dunk McCallum, by the ah, way, there who, you go. who remained a lifelong friend of mine. Nice. So the first game, somehow, I scored 34 points. <laughs> We're starting to see a, a general theme around this episode, hey? Somehow, it just kept going in. And, and ended up being the rookie of the year in the senior men's league that year. I just got better. Yeah. That's all I can say is I just yeah. I just got better and better and more confident, I guess. And you enjoyed putting the work in and, and trying to get better at it on your own. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, you enjoyed that process of it. I had a back lane I played in. And there you go. I and known to be out there with my gloves on in the snow practicing. Yeah, yeah. Because I always had a challenge. I never, you know, every step I took, I wasn't sure. Like when I went into grade 12, I wasn't sure I could make that starting lineup. And when I went to UBC, I wasn't sure I could even make a team there. And then, then the next year, the first year with the Thunderbirds again, I wasn't sure whether I was going to make that first team or not. And so I always was working hard to do that. Did you ever think to yourself, I actually do belong? Or did it, was it like, this mindset has worked so well. I'm just going to keep <laughs> doubting myself and then <laughs> keep dropping 35. No, I I think I always knew I could get better. Yeah. There was always a challenge. There was always, you know, people I thought were better. And I love it. Never really stopped trying to improve. Competitor. It's great. So anyway, so that yes. that basically um, took me uh, to UBC. And, uh, and how did those, the rest of those years stand out for you? Some of the teams, the teammates you played with? I'm sure you had some... Very memorable, great experiences. Well, we had a we had a really good team in my last two years. We were playing in the Western Canada Conference at that time. That team had ten either first or second team or most valuable players from the BC tournament on it. Um, Bill Berardino from Prince of Wales, Dave Black from Victoria, Dave Nelson from Victoria, um, Mike Bach and Jack was on it. Uh, Dave Way was on it. Um, anyway, we were. Over the two years when we lost one game, in our first year we lost one game back in Winnipeg, the next year we went undefeated. And uh, one of my uh, what-ifs is if there had been a Canadian championship, could we have won it? Was there a better team in Canada than that team? I don't know. Yeah, I'll never know. So it's it's a what-if. But but it was a very successful team. And Dunk McCallum was on that team. Nice, yeah. (laughs) did, Did he fill your water? (laughs) <laughs> no, but there's a story He's about that. He's got to give Dunk a hard time. I get a chance. He's usually well. You asked Dunk me. why why the coach always roomed him with me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> and then you touched on something that I think school the part. I mean, you you jumped quickly to leaving your job, but you were a teacher. And you coached at Burnaby Central and and made the provincials and had a pretty familiar name in the coaching world in our province that was one of your players, if I stand correct there, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Bill Disbro um, would have been hovering around there, which is pretty interesting. And I think that's the cool part, the people that, that get this event and get basketball and BC and what the championships mean. It's these stories that come out where you go, holy smokes, like Bill Disbro played for Ken Winslade when he coached for two years at Burnaby Central. Like the timing is just too weird, you know? And there all, there had to have been something that you inspired in him. And, and he on his episode, he talked about being interested in coaching young, but obviously you made basketball fun for him. Um, he's still doing it, 
right? Yeah, Bill and I still talk occasionally. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I went um, I went into Burnaby Central. They had they had had no basketball program at all, and mm-hmm. they had they'd only won four games the year before. And I went in there, and was fortunate that I had some good athletes, some good players, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Henry Grenda probably being the best of them, who was a really good football player, ended up playing a bit for the Lions, went to Washington State on a football scholarship. But um, yeah, we we turned the program around. The um, uh, we got to the BCs. Uh, we we. We went on a big 14-game winning streak, which was unknown to these kids. And uh, we won our league, and then we, we lost in the Vancouver District Finals, uh, but still got us to the BCs. I think we won one and lost two that first year. But the next year, we played a much tougher schedule and uh, played. Started, all of a sudden, we were known and started playing better teams. And uh, again, won our league and, um, and won the Vancouver District and then went into the BCs. And upset uh, the strong North Surrey team, a strong North Vancouver team in the first two games. And all of a sudden, Burnaby Central's in the final four <laughs> after the second year. Now, that's another story. We played Alberni in the semifinal game, and we were ahead by 11 points at halftime. Oh, boy. And we scored the first basket. We were up 13 points. And uh, we lost the game by four points. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was a lesson to me. If I had gone back coaching, I learned a real lesson in that game. Mm-hmm. And um, Which was what? Play his own defense if you have to. Yeah. Because Peter Mullins was man-to-man all the way. That's what he, he taught me. I like that. I like your style, though. I, we're, and uh, we're and I, needed some, I needed something <laughs> to turn the game around because yeah. Alberni started the, mo- the momentum switched. I needed something, and my kids couldn't play a zone. Mm, mm-hmm. Anyway, it was a big disappointment for the kids, but we were, had a very successful two years. Absolutely. And did you enjoy the coaching? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I stayed awake nights, <laughs> you know, when the new Westminster <laughs> offer came, because I really felt the next year we could win the BCs. Right. And they did very well. I think they came fourth the next year, because mm-hmm. that, that really was the culmination of the three years. But, um, yeah, well... I'm always a coach. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Absolutely. I sit in the stands and I still coach. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just depends who you let know, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chambers, your one three one zone (laughs) suck today. Um, And then, so yeah, you have a huge transition in your work life and that changes the landscape for you. But then you kind of take this jump into the tournament and become the director. And and what what was the reason behind that? Um, Was it... Obviously, to stay involved in the game, but yeah, I was yeah. I was very fortunate when I left um, when I left teaching and went to work for the city uh, that I was still able to stay involved with the basketball because all the years I was never out of it because all five years I was at UBC I was involved in the tournament working with Jack Pomford who was the tournament director there and um, doing everything from scorekeeping to running the clock to watching the doors you know we all the students from ubc did all these kind of jobs so so i always stayed involved that way then when i when i left and um uh, went back to ubc and did my masters i was coaching the ubc freshman team that year and uh so i stayed involved in the tournament and then when i went to the city they came to me they being a couple of coaches and said, how would you like to come and work for the Lower Mainland Zone? Mm. 
So so I did that, and then I because um, uh, I had the great advantage of being able to use my office and my office staff to kind of do that. So I uh, would keep minutes of the meetings and that kind of thing, and then I represented the the uh, zone at the BC executive meetings. So I did that up until 1968, I guess. And 1968 is the year they moved to the Coliseum for the first two days. And the, um, I don't recall who the president was at the time, maybe Stan Lawson from Kitsilina. Anyway, he contacted me and said that they need some help in negotiating the contract with the P&E because they don't have any experience in that kind of thing. And I was running Queen's Park Arena at the time and had the Bruins playing. And and um, so I was somewhat familiar with how contracts work. With so long and the short of it, I said, sure, I'll help you out. So, so myself and and uh, Dave Renwick from Killarney and uh, I think Don McIntyre was the other one, um, met with the P&E and anyway negotiated a deal where we would um, play the, the Friday night and the Saturday. UBC was, was uh, the first two days. And so we did that. And then they said, well, someone's got to look after the tournament while it's here. Jack can't do it because Jack's at UBC. So would you do that? Yeah, okay, I'll do that. So <laughs> Take on that just minimal task. Yeah. <laughs> so so I basically <laughs> took over the tournament as it was run, you know, at the um, P&E. And then I guess it was 1971, we moved the whole tournament to the Coliseum. And that's when I took over as the tournament director. So did they do just the first two days at the Coliseum and then move it to UBC? No, they did the first two days at UBC, first two and a half Half days, days. and they only moved the semifinal Ah, and the final, and then the the Saturday games for all the positions they played. So it was basically a day and a half for the first three years, and then they they got to the point where the crowds were getting so big, they moved the whole thing. And so, yeah, so I don't know how many years I did that, 20 20 plus years, I, I was the tournament director there. Then in addition, uh, when Charlie McLaughlin stepped down as the executive secretary treasurer, they talked me into doing that. So I was doing that as well for the association. So, so I did that for many, many years. Uh, I don't remember how many it was. Yeah, yeah. Probably another 30. And during that time, did you ever imagine it would get to where it got to? Like, did you ever have that vision or was it just let's continue to try and build it and make it as good of an experience as we can and then it transitions to the agrodome and then we try it out at the garage but then go back and yeah we we thought it always it always could get bigger and better i mean that that was what we were trying to do Mm -hmm. and one of the one of the big things um is when we moved into uh the uh, coliseum we really started to get the sponsorship and many uh many companies came for keg restaurants was the first one that's another interesting story keg restaurants came through but the main reason we did is because george tidwell who started keg restaurants had played in the tournament ah, for penticton in no 1948 way. oh my gosh and he couldn't help get involved fast enough uh, and so he came along and uh, put some money into it to um uh, they started the uh player of the game they gave keg uh, $25 certificates, what? which in 1970 was a lot of money. That's cool. And, uh, and, then, um, please? and then he started up the School Spirit Award. They, um, they started that up. And he brought, uh, he brought Pepsi along with him because I guess Pepsi had the keg contract or something. So Pepsi got involved and helped out. And then we had, over the next years, a sponsor, um, <laughs> the next cute one was McDonald's. 
Mm. Uh, Ron Marcoux, one of the big uh, executives in uh, with the uh, McDonald's, he had played for Trap Tech in 1949 in the tournament. So he came along and they started up the big McDonald's scholarship program and took over those Viola Player Award. And uh, then we had um, Team Skyline, Roger Morrow of Team Skyline mm -hmm. came along, so I put on a dinner for the coaches and Centaur came along. Centaur been, are still a sponsor today. One thing about sponsors, they tend to come and go. You have to be very careful. Mm. And one thing I really focused on with the association was never let you get financially counting on the sponsorship money. Always keep it out of your operating money because those sponsors will come and go. And uh, over the years, we, we certainly found that. We had other interesting one. Vancouver's son, a gentleman named Clark Davey, was the um, chairman of the uh, – Vancouver Sun at that time, publisher, I guess, he contacted us and said, uh, we won't be involved. And he said, what can I do? I said, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that. Anyway, we made a deal with them where the Vancouver Sun for about five years bought out the first day of tickets for the all the competing lower mainland Fraser Valley schools. So he would he would give three to 400 tickets to every school for the opening day of their first game in the BC tournament. Wow, that's unique. And so they, the, the kids were getting basically in free, and then the son was basically paying that. The Vancouver province came along a few years later, picked up the all-star trophies, did those for many, many years. And then we, we've had other ones come along later. Um, Spalding picked up the ball contract for many years. Now it's Bodden. And uh, Justin's rings came along and started to present championship rings. And, and the event was so high profile. Mm -hmm. in, in reality, it We've said, and nobody's ever challenged, it was the largest amateur sports event in Canada. You know, um, anywhere from fifteen to 20,000 people, you know, over the five days. And um, you know, it, was a, it was a huge operation. Yeah, more recently, Big Kahuna has been really, really good to us over the years. Um, Nike came along really early in the game and offered a pair of shoes to the championship team. Yeah, we got And they did around. that. They did yeah. that for many, many years. And then Adidas, through Big Kahuna, picked that up later. And then most recently, through a lot of help from Howard Kelsey, we got uh, TELUS as a major, major sponsor. And they came along uh, initially and allowed us to actually televise two years in a row, televise the game on the Sportsnet ac mm -hmm. across Canada. Mm -hmm. So it's been... It's been just building and building and building, but we always tried to make it so it was better for the kids, you know, that um, the ones who are participating, uh, what we could do and make it more enjoyable, more memorable for them was always kind of our objective. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had great growth in the, uh, in the figures here, um, just out of interest. Yeah. In 1946, first year of the tournament, we had 385 people attend the championship game at the old YMCA in New Westminster. Uh, first year at UBC, 1951, uh, we had a total attendance of 2,000 people and 561 were at the championship game. Seven years later, by 1958, we'd gone from 2,000 to 10,000 people in in the total attendance and, and uh, 30 close to 3,500 attend the championship game. So we were getting bigger and bigger. 1964, we had 16,700 attend the tournament and 6,000 to the championship game. And that's when we got into trouble because UBC can't handle 6,000 yeah, people. that's like... 
They were, yeah, they, well, they were jammed in there, jammed <laughs> in there. There's a picture of it, um, and uh, it's just quite incredible. So that's when the decision was made, 1967, we had to do something. And, and of course, the big crowds are Friday night, Saturday. And so that's when we approached the P&E about moving there. And so the first year at the P&E, the attendance went to 24,000 in the, in the four days. That was only a four-day tournament. And we had over 6,000 to the championship game. That's with the exception of one year at GM Place. That's the largest crowd we ever, ever had. GM Place, the first year when the Grizzlies approached us, and we went three years to GM Place, and the Grizzlies approached us and uh, wanted us to come to GM Place. And, and we said, we can't afford GM Place. You know, well, don't worry about it. We'll make it work sort of thing. So anyway, long and short of it, Tom Mayanek, which is the name you may know, he writes, he was with the Grizzlies, and he was quite instrumental in making that work. But the, what, the first year at GM Place... We had over close to 8,000. Some people say it was 10,000, but that's, that's hopeful thinking because we have the actual figures. And it was, um, it was closer to 8,000, that, that, that first game, and uh, the first uh, final game mm-hmm. there. And then again, we had, uh, for, the, for the overall tournament, we had 23,000 people at it sort of thing. But the novelty kind of wear off very quickly at GM Place. And they uh, they kind of lost a little bit of insight, some personnel change, and they kind of lost interest. So we happily took our way back to the Agrodome and uh, enjoyed the many, many years at the Agrodome. But over the years, today, we're still averaging four to 5,000 to the championship game, fifteen to 20,000 for the tournament. Still a huge event. And I'm just talking basically 4A. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. I got to be very careful about that because <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, no, no, you know, I, I was so focused on 4A. No, no, for sure. And you know, in 1973, we we got the first cable company in to Western Cable to do the um, to do the cable games, and so we uh, we've had basically had the game on cable right up to coming to Langley when it's now streamed for many years. So we have we have um, actually on disc today. Uh, all the championship games from 1973 on mm-hmm. through to through to today. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. 94, they were on strike. I don't. Oh think, well, a couple yeah, years. Co- couple years we did our own. Dave Morgan's mom had to like camcorder from the 15th row during the final. It was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. a couple yeah. years we did our own. Yeah. And, and Joe Thurman, Joe Thurman did the Joe Thurman Thurman high game. And uh, and Jinder uh, Sorrow from Abbotsford, yeah. uh, they used their audiovisual guys to come in, and we did our own. And mm-hmm. and um, I know Paul Heberhart was helping with the announcing even way back then at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there were those couple of years where where that did happen. And let me just jump into, and this is what, on top of all the things that you've done for our tournament and just basketball in general, probably the biggest thing is what people are hearing right now is your ability to archive and to keep track of all the history. Um, I don't want to know what your closet or storage space looks like, but even just, you know, the 75th from two years ago, what a cool thing with the photos and the history. And you could see the guys that did show up. They're just the looks on their faces, right? They see that picture of their championship team. And it's just like, they're just absolutely glowing. And then it's like, oh, there's, you know, Mikey or whatever. And they're just having a giggle. And then all these memories just flush back into your head. And I think, like I mentioned, of all the things that you've done, I think that's one of the coolest and and one of the almost most important is that history. I mean, I wouldn't. Before we talked tonight, I never would have guessed you would have given us the numbers through the years. And I think it's phenomenal that you have those 
and it's and it's really cool. So you know, thank you for that. Yeah, we have. Uh, fortunately, uh, I just carried on from what Ken Wright started out when he right. Ken Wright, of course, was the founder of the tournament, and he started out and he kept every year a scrapbook of the tournament starting 1946. So we have piled away today all the newspaper clippings mm -hmm. from the tournament starting in 1946. Each Amazing. year piled up. And we have pictures of all the most valuable players, all the all-stars, all the championship teams, and some action pictures from every year from 1946. We have all the original score sheets from 1946. So anytime you want to know how many points you scored, just yeah. quickly look it up. Um, who's the person hovering over this th as the game ends? Who's grabbing that score Stanley, sheet? Stanley Markowski is in charge of that. Okay. <laughs> and that's been a challenge over the years. I was going to say, <laughs> Stanley had an important job, let me tell you. And um, <laughs> and then we have um, we have programs from every tournament from 1946 on. Uh, we have all, all the programs. We have all the attendance records and the revenue records. And, yeah, we, we have a great collection of, of the historical I want to go back to Bill Disborough. I, I jumped over ah, Bill. Please do. Bill, Bill was a, a kid who there, – there's a group of kids in, in, in the Burnaby Central group from the Edmonds area. They had a, a court up in their area that they, they talk about. The name escapes me right now. But it was one of the parents had this great court. And these kids, uh, Tim Chapman, Alan Quinn, Terry Hyduke, um, all, they all played together. And Bill was one of that gang. But Bill wasn't, wasn't the best player. But what Bill was, was the loyal, loyal guy who showed up every game, every practice, sat on the bench, didn't complain, hmm. was always willing to help out. He was obviously sitting listening because uh, he wasn't playing a lot, <laughs> but uh, he uh, he certainly must have been paying attention to what's going on because it was after I left when he he got it, he took over and he coached the junior boys first. He helped out at the school there before he well he was still in school, but anyway, Bill was one of those kids that you just desperately need as a practice player who you can get into a game in lots of circumstances, but generally wasn't going to be a star, but accepted his role, mm -hmm. and you could always count on him. And that's what I always admired about Bill, and I'm so pleased to see he did so well in the future. I want to jump into some fun tournament memories. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, what would you like? <laughs> <laughs> Where do we begin? He says, Mitchell, in your opinion, who are some of the best teams? And I know you're waiting to say your own, so that's cool. I can't, I can't wait for you to pump your tires just well, once. Well, we'll start there. But... Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What I've done, knowing you might ask that question, I just made a few notes here. So, so I've done it in, in kind of years to start with. So, mm. so the 1950s, no question the Lester Pearson team from 56 was the best. No one's ever argued with me about that. <laughs> I'm not going to be the first. So <laughs> the 1960s, yeah. the 1963 MEI team was an undefeated team with Ed Sitterman, George Heidebrecht, Jim Falk, great team. The 1970s was the Nanaimo team with the Kazanowski brothers. The 1980s was the 1988 undefeated Richmond powerhouse with Pootsy Tate and DeWitt. Uh, 90s was uh, Steve Nash's St. Michael's team. Mm -hmm. I think another, I think most of these teams were undefeated. Uh, the 2000 uh, year was the little 
tough than that. We, we Calvary felt the Argyle was probably the best team from uh, that 2004 Argyle team. Okay, yeah, but that was that was a very I was a, I'm not sure they lost. And then the 2010 was the Kelowna team, and I think that Kelowna team is really underrated. That was a really really good team, and they they didn't lose that year. But who was the best? Well. I first of all, the 1956 Pearson team had the only team ever I know had four first All Stars okay. on it. It was so good that 1955 Trap Tech won the BC Championships. They combined the next year with the Knot. Four starters were back from the Trap Tech Championship team, and only two made the starting lineup. So, but did they play a zone? <laughs> they played a zone because <laughs> there were two big six foot seven kids okay, playing there. Yeah, they played it. We okay. played a lot of zone yeah. years. And we also, because of the crazy draw, we had to beat Vancouver Island number one, who was Victoria, Fraser Valley number one, who was uh, North Surrey, and Vancouver number one, who was McGee. So we had to beat three number one seeds to win the BC Championship. Mm -hmm. So we were good. But I don't think we were exactly the best. I think it's basically between the Nimo and the 88 Richmond team. And that's debatable. I know last year they did the survey and the, the, Nimo, they, the Nimo came up. I think Richmond would have won the game. Yeah. I think Richmond Richmond had had better balance, had better depth, and I think was a little more athletic. Richmond won two years in a row mm. with those kids. Right. Uh, Nanaimo, the first of the year before they won, they finished fifth. And uh, I just don't think they were quite as deep. I, 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 it, it's always debatable, but my assessment was always, I just thought that Richmond team, I, that's where I'd bet my money if there was a matchup game. So that's it. I'll put my guys third. We'll take, ah, we'll take third. You did it. Okay. All right. <laughs> but we were good. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, some pretty household names along the way. Who are some of the better players that you've seen light up the tournament for, you know, a four-day span? Well, let me give you my – and these are who I thought were the best overall players in, in a 20-year era. I've just got five of them here. Okay. And I think the, the sort of 1946 to 1955 was Paul Boudet, twice MVP, led Connaught three championships, with a runner-up to Kutnikov. John Kutnikoff was two-time MVP. Mm. Sort of the 55 through the 70s, um, I always admired Ed Sutterman from MEI. I thought he was one of the best all-around players. Uh, he should have been the most valuable player the year they won the championship. But Jack Hick had this incredible scoring run from Queen Elizabeth and brought his team to third. And I always felt kind of sorry for Ed. I, I thought he should have been the most valuable player. And the runner-up that year would be Ron Thorson from Prince George. Um, uh, quite an incredible story and went on to a wonderful career at UBC. Hmm. Uh, the 70s, 1978 to 1990, no question, Lars Hansen was, was the most dominating. I think the most dominating individual ever in tournament history. He was that good, hey? Just dominated and didn't mm. have a great team around him. Yeah, he yeah. was so good. I'll, I'll comment later on a couple of his things. Mm -hmm. Runner-up, Alan Tate. Alan Tate was the first real scoring machine we saw. All of a sudden, this guy could just score and score and score. And uh, and so 1990 to 2010, no question, was Steve Nash was a great, great player. 
I guess so. Not a prolific. He, was, he wasn't a prolific scorer, but he no. was just a great player, just understood the game. And you'd be watching the game, and you'd be coming down the floor, and you'd say, pass. And he'd pass. It's like, it's like you told him. He just seemed to know to do it at the right time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd give runner-up to Pasha Baines from Richmond, the next great scorer, you know, in the time frame. Mm-hmm. And then the last 20 years, I think Kelly Olenek was the best best all-round player. And Tyra O'Mara from White Rock Christian, probably the runner-up. Um, mm. He had a great, great career. My coaches, I always fun to talk about coaches. Yeah. Uh, the first great <laughs> coach was, was Ken yeah, Wright. Six finals in eight years, five championships. Um, that's insane. Yeah, you can't argue. Um, like, good good recruiter, insane. though. Good recruiter. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, fa- in fact, I, I've often said it's very hard to win the BC championships without a recruit, and mm-hmm. um, you can go through the go through the years, and that'll often be the case. Um, the fifties to seventies, I always admired Jake Braun, who mm. came in and took this little MEI school and built them into a powerhouse. Four of five years, they were in the final four, um, one after the other, won two championships. The seventies to nineties, uh, Don Harwood from Oak Bay was my favorite. Mm. Uh, three championships, five out of six years was in the final four. Nineties to twenty tens, I got to go with good old Bill Disborough. How do you argue with uh, seven final fours, six championship games, five titles? Um, still holds the record for the most uh, championships. Mm-hmm. And twenty ten to twenty. 21. Uh, Scott Allen from White Rock Christian had mm. an incredible record. Uh, 11 out of 14 years, he was in the final four. 11 out of 14 years in the final four. Six six times in the championship game and three times again for a little White Rock Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, controversial a bit, but yeah. still great coach. Yeah, yeah. Great coach. For you, what are some of the best overall performances that you've seen well, I'm going to focus on the championship round sure. because I think that's where you really have to perform. Of course. And and I'll start with Lars Hansen. Um, Lars Hansen in the semifinal and the final 1972 had 39 points in each game. That's only eight-minute quarters. Oh that's before God. we went to international <laughs> rules. If we'd have played, international rules basically added another quarter to the game. Yeah. So if you'd have if you'd have added another quarter, I don't know, he may have got fifty points 50, in each game. He was yeah. unstoppable. John Buis, who took over for me as a tournament director for many many years, was playing for North Delta in the championship game, and John always kids me that I don't have his record in the records. And I said, "What side?" He says, "Most points scored against a defending center in a championship game." <laughs> did they not double the guy, or did they double he him? And so he still good. couldn't do anything. Too good. Really? Too good. Yeah, just too strong. Holy too smokes. Another great performance, Alan Tate in 1980. He broke the tournament scoring record with 149 points. He had 48 points against North Surrey before the three-point line. Wow. This is before the three-point line. And, so had, you, and you mentioned him, you said this was like the first sort of score that we saw. He was, was he kind a, of a very unique from meaning like a guard position? And he it was, was a guard. Yeah. He was a guard. He could drive. He could stop and shoot. He, uh, he just was really, really tough to stop. Mm-hmm. He was the first one who really came in and averaged 38 points a game in the championship round which was unheard of in those days sort of thing. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest performances I personally ever saw, I, I still to this day think maybe it was the greatest game I ever saw, was the semifinal between Prince Rupert and MEI the year after MEI had won the championship and Prince Rupert went on their run and, and 
were the Cinderella team and won that tournament. In the semifinal game, Heidebrecht got 34 points. He was 15 for 21. And he was Oof. just, and he's only about six foot, six foot one, but yet he played center. But he went to be outside shooting, outside scoring. And he just kept MEI in that game. And the game was going back and forth and back and forth. Went into overtime. He fouled out. Uh, in the overtime, which probably cost MEI the game at the end. But he, uh, again, he broke the tournament scoring record that year. He was the MVP. But that Prince Rupert MEI game was just classic, just mm. classic. <laughs> 1984, we had the infamous uh, Steveston-Richmond final where ah. Gareth Davies scored 45 points. Record still stands today and, and for the championship, most points in the championship game. That was a huge upset. Uh, Richmond was heavily favored in that game, and Gareth Davis just took over that game. Did you need extra security for that one? That's like <laughs> yeah. a yeah, well, no. inner city rival. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, Richmond Stevenson was a great rivalry, but Gareth Davis was one of the greatest final game performances. Probably the uh, one of the uh, most unsung heroes was Tony McCrory in 1995. Mm -hmm. He uh, he literally carried carried his team to the championship, averaged uh, 38 points a game, <laughs> uh, had 48 points against Richmond in the, um, the quarterfinal, quarter? yeah. scored 37 points in the final, just just was dominant and uh, sort of came in a bit unsung. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, you knew about him, but you just didn't realize he could, uh, he could be that good. Mm -hmm. And finally, the great performance by Kelly Olenek in 2005, where he, he averaged 36 points a game, got 37 in the semifinal, got 46 in the consolation final. He, again, just, just dominated. So those are ones that, that come to mind that I can think about were great tournament performances. How about upsets? Let's do it. Three, three. If I, you've got one on the list, then I might have to just go for a bathroom <laughs> You can't, you can't break delete. Here. You can't delete one of them. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> the, the first was um, was 1957. Um, Lester Pearson came back as the defending champion, and and were up against little old Chilliwack, who were in the number three or four from the valley. And uh, Chilliwack beat them 60-54 in the first game of the, every one of these upsets. Took day though. Takes first the first day, of course, and that wasn't that was at that point in the fifties, probably the biggest upset ever took place. The next one was nineteen sixty five when Abbotsford came in with Sam Vandermeulen, highly highly rated against little old number four from the Lower Mainland, Gladstone, mm. and Gladstone beat them forty thirty six. Um, they outscored them twelve six in the last quarter to to win that game. And that was another huge upset. And then we have 1995. Dun, 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 dun. Terry Fox and Van Tech. Terry Fox came in two-time defending champion, favored to go three in a row to match Duke of Connaught, and lost by 10 points to little old Van Did Tech. Did we lose by 10? <laughs> 10 points. <laughs> what was the final score? Do you know? Uh, I no, know. I just have 10 points here. It, uh, Thank you. I can get you that. Yeah, that 95 year was wild. Yeah. That was a crazy one. And uh, what else could I offer you? How about best championship games? Um, 1958, uh, Lord Bing and Prince of Wales went into overtime, uh, was back and forth, um, very low scoring, 36 33, and was won 
by uh, Lord Bing Kid, not one of their stars, uh, Ed Fife, and he shot his foul shots underhand. Yes, he and did. He, and he scored two foul shots to win the game in overtime for Lord Bing. That game was actually broadcast by Jim Robson uh, on CKWX at the time. Awesome. And we actually have the tape of that game. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. great. In fact, I think you played it, didn't you, on the video that was done for the 75th, yeah. Uh, the 1982 very emotional West Vancouver Argyle game, Brian Upson's last game. Brian was suffering from cancer, could hardly make it onto the floor. And uh, Paul Kitchener scored two foul shots with 11 seconds to go. And Argyle came down with the last shot, bounced on the rim a couple of times and fell out. And West Van won 49-48. Mm-hmm. And Brian Upson had his championship and he passed away about two months later, I think. But a very emotional game. Mm. And then we move way up to 2009, St. George's Vancouver College, and um, Emerson Murray hits a baseline jumper with three seconds to go to give uh, St. George's the upset, 63-62. St. George's had to play five games they that did, year. They did, right? Yeah. They came, they, that's one of the few times. I think Pitt Meadows did it once, too, when they came through from five games to mm-hmm. And then the last one I remember was the 2012 Walnut Grove Terry Fox game when uh, Jesse Crooks hits the shot with four seconds to go and uh, wins the game 75-74 for Terry Fox. Two others, uh, just to mention, um, great comebacks. Uh, 2011, uh, Paul Eberhardt's Palmer team was playing heavily favored Vancouver College and got behind uh, 19-2 in Mm. the first quarter and came back and won that game. And then 2019 was the famous yeah. Lord Tweedsmere comeback where they were behind by 18 points and came back and won that game. Those were both championship games, so they were they were quite something. So those are a few thoughts. Just a few, hey? Yeah, yeah one or two. <laughs> Love it. It's great. Mitch, 56-46, if you want to know. Yeah, we scored 46. I mean, boxing one, man. What do you want me to do? Kill <laughs> Yeah. I think we played them at the Vancouver College Tournament and beat them by like 40 at the college tournament yeah and then good times i mean our starting two guard had mono peter morgan had a broken foot but we probably should have squeaked out a dub in the first round and seen how we did but anyways thanks thanks for that bringing back those memories mr winslade it's greatly appreciated no. <laughs> i thought i should i couldn't, couldn't avoid that one. yeah yeah of course he couldn't <laughs> a little bugger any some personal highlights I, one i want to bring is uh you didn't want to respond to the Chicago Bulls phone call or what? Huh? <laughs> well, What's that's one that? of my that's one of my what ifs. Yeah? What ifs? Uh when I when I left my uh, last year at UBC, I got a actually it was a letter from the okay. Vancouver, from the Chicago Bulls who that's were just awesome. starting up their franchise and wanted to know if I would come to uh to their tryout. That's crazy. Well, what if I I decided not to for for a variety of reasons, probably because yeah, yeah. I didn't think I have a hope, there he hope goes of again. making it there sort he goes of thing. Again. But yeah. um, anyway, so I, I often wonder what Ends if. Up being the starting um, I still have the letter, though. I still have the That's letter. That's cool. Still, still in my treasure chest. What do you think is a bigger what if that or had your UBC team been able to compete in the Canadian championships? Do you think? Um, well, a couple of other what ifs. Uh, when I left UBC in my, in my final year, 
I, I went and played senior men's. I didn't talk about that. But after mm. my, after I left UBC, I went and played senior men's with McGavins in the senior men's league. Well, and the senior men's was a big deal, big right? Big deal. Point. Yeah, big like it was, deal in those yeah. days. Big crowds. Of course. Yeah. And uh, so it was mainly a, mainly UBC grads and uh, and uh, and we we did very well and we won the uh, BC championship. But anyway, uh, when that year finished. Then I had a couple of decisions to make, and one is I had Lethbridge Broders, were the were the defending Canadian champions. They had won forty eight games in a row. They came to Vancouver to play us, the McGavins, and we beat them by two points and broke their forty eight game winning streak. And then we had to go back to Lethbridge a month or two later and play for the Western Canada Championship, which they beat us three games to two in the Western Canada Championship. Mm. But because they were the Canadian champions, they then represented Canada in the World Championships in Manila. And they contacted me whether I would move to Lethbridge and come and play with them. Wow. Again, I, I had, but I had another offer. I had another offer of a, of a $2,000 Canada scholarship to go back and do my master's degree. And Peter Mullins offered me the chance to coach the UBC freshman team. Mm -hmm. So so long and the short of it is I chose to go back to UBC and do my master's degree, mm -hmm. which I never regretted. And I didn't go to Lethbridge. So so I often wonder, what if I'd have gone back to Lethbridge? Where would I, would I have stayed there? Where would I be today? Yeah. I don't really know. And the other what if is the year after that, when I finished my master's degree, uh, University of Alberta wanted me to come back there and coach their junior varsity team at the university. Again, I said, no, I'm going to stay here. And I uh, went to coach Burnaby Central for two years, which mm -hmm. I never ever re regretted that as well. But I often wonder, well, if you'd gone to Alberta, I wonder what would have ever happened to yeah. me. You make choices in life, you know. It's like when I chose to go to the city and leave teaching. And you never know after the fact what what really it would have been if you'd have, if you'd have gone that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Even though you know you've had a a great life and a great path, it's still kind of fun to go. Oh, you know what if? Oh made yeah, that choice. Always, I mean, you never know. It. Could have made him not worked out and put you behind, or you know, and that maybe that city thing doesn't come up. You know, yeah. it's like we just don't know these things. Yeah. One one of my I guess the biggest disappointment in my basketball career is I never had the chance to represent Canada. Yeah. Because there was no national team at the time. The, mm -hmm. the winner, um, well, that takes me. Are you suggesting I, that maybe you would have had a chance to represent I, Canada I, with based I, on your skill set? I might. Ah, <laughs> we got an I might. Okay, not bad. We'll take that. We'll, we'll chalk that up as a W, Corpus. Yeah. yeah. I, um, <laughs> I was close, though. In 19, 19, where am I here? 60. I was in my second to last year at UBC, and uh, Alberni had won the Canadian championship. That was the Olympic year in Rome. And so Alberni got to play for the, first of all, the Western Canada Championship in Lethbridge. Okay. And they could pick up two players. So they, they asked me if I would take three weeks out of school. It was my graduating year. Oh, yeah. And take three weeks out of school and uh, go and play with them. So I said, sure, I'd love to play with Alberni. What a, what a group of guys. Amos Fidel and Doug Britham and Kutnikoff at the time. And uh, that's how I got to know Cootie. Cootie and I roomed for three weeks together. And uh, we <laughs> were it. just completely different personalities. Yeah, yeah. But we, <laughs> we remained longtime friends over that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we went back to Lethbridge and we beat Lethbridge 
in the three out of five series. We won the fifth game. And then we had to go all the way to Montreal to play for the Canadian Championship. The winner goes to the Olympics in Rome. We, uh, we lost by five points to the Ontario team. And uh, I always say I was five points from Rome in the Olympics. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Big disappointment. That, yeah. Uh, that game. What, what was the biggest game that you played in? Oh, I don't know. Beating Lethbridge, that be, beating yeah. that Lethbridge Broders team was, yeah. a, was a big game. My biggest thrill, mm. was still without question, was winning the BC High School Championship. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had many, many you know good games over the years, but winning that BC Championship was just something every kid wanted to do, and, mm -hmm. um, and just always remains in my memory as the best. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, so so that was my closest to coming to represent Canada, five points. So I often think, well, if you'd have made that shot or if you hit that free throw or, you know, it was... The way you talk, did you have some sleepless nights still or what? <laughs> oh, you still think of it. Yeah, you yeah. You still think of it. I feel like, uh, Mr. Winslet, I feel like we lost over the uh, the playing career. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think we just kind of glossed over it. I think I'll put it in for, for the listeners, but uh, you won multiple first team all-stars um you are top academically in, in your in your program i think was it three three years in a row here right i feel like you should uh yeah, he's not even nodding eh? he's like, <laughs> please move on he's just thinking yeah i feel like i feel like you should uh, expound on that a little bit well what can i say yeah i was the top student for my third and fourth year at university so in my in my physics class but was academics always important to you in your thing or no. did it just develop over time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was I, I wasn't a top student in high school, but I was too busy playing sports and everything else. I mean, all you needed was a C to get into university, so nobody really cared much about it. <laughs> but I got to the university and I sort of found out that um, you could um, get a little bit of money if you got top marks. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of motivated to to do that and uh, really, really enjoyed the physics program, you know. So if you enjoy what you're studying, enjoy what you're doing. But, uh, yeah, I was fortunate. And I believe you did hover around. You were in the top 10 scoring all time for a little bit there, correct? Well, probably. Yeah. yeah. Probably. <laughs> what was your game like? What was, what was the, what do you think was the best part of your game? And what was the most efficient part of your game? If, if we're doing a scouting report on you, what's the scout? shooter yeah yeah i could shoot well so if there's a three-point uh, line it's I, uh, those numbers are much yeah, higher. in my in my in my couple of years i both years i led the conference in shooting percentage and fall shooting percentage and okay I, I was a good shooter yeah i have uh ed suderman has a little little write-up on on you for the third all-star team for the all tournament team from 1946 to 1971 he has a little blog post here i guess and uh has here kevin slate underrated performer of the strong 56 championship team outstanding shooting and passing guard provided the team control good leader one of the smoothest tournament guards very quick is that accurate yeah probably <laughs> yes and what do we got on the feet on these days like what are those kicks like or really is it Chuck Taylor era or what? Yeah, it, Converse. What is it? Converse. Converse. He has the cons. White okay. Converse. Nice. We had Fleetfoot when we were in grade 11, you know, 10, 11. We had these black Fleetfoot running shoes. Yeah. And then when we got to uh, university, um, all of a sudden these white Chuck Taylor Converse shoes came out. And uh, those were the shoes of the days. And then I think 
I think I still have the last pair of shoes I wore, which were a leather, a, a con- nice. Converse leather Chuck Taylor sitting in the basement for the garbage one day. And then we talk about like full circle, like now the jerseys these kids are wearing. We went from short and tight and we're all the way back there. I ordered these new jerseys for our guys and they're still, I've never ordered smaller jerseys and they're still rolling the, the waistband up. I'm like, we're going back to like the fifties here, man. Like what is going on? High socks, like... Yeah, I was gonna say leather. But did you have the belts? Yeah, love it. And uh, we uh, we had the socks too. That came oh yeah, knees, absolutely. Yeah. Not at university in high school. Yeah. University. <laughs> oh yes, times change. Times That's good. Change. Let's have some fun ones here. Who who have been some of the more biggest like influences and most important people in your life? Do you think? Oh gosh. Well, I guess my dad sort of taught me about leadership. When we were 12 years old, we were playing softball in the Westminster, and he stepped up to be our coach. Didn't know anything about sports at all, and uh, just volunteered and came in and took over the group of us, and we ended up winning the BC Championship when we were 12-year-olds. There was no baseball when I was growing up. Little League didn't come till later. We, softball was the huge sport. And then he... <laughs> He used to drive me to the arena, Queen's Park Arena, and sit in the cold waiting waiting while I was playing Huey hockey. And uh, the president of the New Westminster Association came up to him and said, you might as well do something while you're here. So long and the short of it, he started to get involved and then later became the president of the New Westminster Association. As I said earlier, moved on to be the Canadian president. But he used to be on that phone at home when he was the president of the BC Association talking about all the suspensions they had to handle and all the problems with coaches and what have you. And I, I just, just sat and listened and really thought, boy, that's that's a pretty good volunteer job because you know, he had his own job at that point in time. Yeah. Anyway, he, he was always an influence to me. Bill Popovich, who was a young teacher at Lester Pearson when he first came, he, he was always very encouraging to me. He was the one who introduced me to Peter Mullins, and he was the one who always said, you know, you're better than you think you are. And he remained a lifelong friend. He passed away a few years ago, was very active in the boys' basketball, and I always always admired him and the time he spent with me. Peter Mullins was the coach who taught me how to play the game. That's the way I describe it best. When I, when I came out of high school, I, I didn't know much about really how to play the game and watch what was going on and how to take advantage of things that were happening on the court. And he, he taught, me to, taught me to be a coach, basically. Mm-hmm. He just skyrocketed my career my first year at that university. And the other person who had a super effect on me was Doug Manning. Doug Manning was the city manager of New Westminster for 23 years, all the years I was running the Parks and Recreation Department. And Doug had played in the tournament for John Oliver in 1950 and 1951 and was a, um, a second-team All-Star both those years. He was a tall all rangy guy. But he was very interested in what I was doing in the basketball world, and he was very encouraging to me, and he and I worked really well together. And um, way back, I don't know, it was 1981 or so, he he asked me if I would be the uh, deputy city manager with him, even though I could keep my parks and recreation job, but when he was away, would I take over? So he gave me a great opportunity to to get involved with the management of the city. And then when he retired, I took over from him as a city manager. So he was always a great, and he was a very wise, wise person. 
I always remember one of the things I always remembered. He said, um, do the right thing, not the easy thing. I always remembered that. Mm. I remembered that little bit of wisdom. So those those four people kind yeah. of had great influence on my life. Awesome. How do you feel about ketchup on macaroni? Um, I don't eat ketchup and I don't eat macaroni. So that's pretty simple. No macaroni, hey? Nope. Good for you on the ketchup too. <laughs> See how yeah. slim I am? Yeah, I know. You're looking great. Yeah. And the ketchup is... Yeah, the sodium, right? No, I don't. Yeah. I don't have ketchup on my fries. No, nope. are you like a malt vinegar guy? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. I knew it. You reader? I read a lot. Okay, so give us a give us an idea of what if you were to get a vacation, grab a couple books, few books. What are the one if you get to reread them again? What, what what are ones that stand out to you? Well, um, I have um, how many? Probably over 400, 400 basketball books at home. Really? Yeah. Oh my god! Every, I love it. Any any book ever written on a college coach? I'm you sure have a I four have. level mansion. Like I already know. Is half the stuff at you, at you your guys' house just, or what? Uh, yeah. Just in the mail today came the new Coach K book that just came out last week. <laughs> nice. There we and, go. Um, yeah, I'm a great reader of college basketball. I have books way back from the 50s and 60s. I have. Do you have a favorite you, team? In oh, North Carolina. NC. Oh, of course. Team. Always been my Same team. Question. Um, and I have I have books going back to the 50s and 60s. Amazing. Coaches back then, and you name a coach, I probably have the book on them. Love it. But that's that's one part of my reading. I I like to read I like to read books about successful people and um, books like on on business or business, anybody. Yeah. One, yeah. One, book, one book I read a, little, a couple of years back called The Innovators. Great, great book on uh, on all the um, um, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, uh, those people and how mm-hmm. they became successful. And it's amazing stories how how they just took little turns and their life just <laughs> fell apart. And, and so I like reading those kind of books. Most recently, um, well, I also like spy novels. Oh really? Um, oh yeah, I, I'm a great spy spy novel reader. Enjoy those very very much. Hmm. Is, Dan, there, Dan, is there a basketball one on your shelf that sticks out? Basketball book? Yeah, like what? oh you know yeah. they're also good. Most recently, I just read the two books come to mind. One I just read one on Dave Bing. Oh wow, Dave! And the reason I was interested in that is because of his after basketball career. But yeah. you know he came out of Washington up to Syracuse, became an All American at Syracuse, then went to the Pistons and played for the Pistons. But it's the after part that's really interesting. He became mayor of Detroit. And and that's what was interesting to me was the political aspect mm-hmm. of it and how he built his company in Detroit and then he became mayor and all the problems he was having as mayor. So that was a really intriguing story. Another one I just finished and I've had the book for, I'm still telling my son, I had the book for a long time, probably 15, 20 years. I just never pulled it off the shelf until recently. It's on um, C.M. Newton and C.M. Newton played in the 19... 19- 50s with the great Kentucky teams. Okay. And then he got into coaching, coaching a small college. And he went down to um, Alabama and he coached at Alabama for a lot of years. And then he went over to Vanderbilt and he coached Vanderbilt for a lot of years. And then you may recall when Kentucky got in its real mess with Eddie Sutton as the coach yep. and got put on suspension and, and what have you. Well, they brought C.M. Newton back as the athletic director to straighten out the problem. And the mm. story is basically him hiring Rick Pitino oh, wow. and, and sorting out the problem. Very, very interesting <laughs> book. Another one I just 
I just finished was on a, a guy who, um, this is not a basketball book, but it's the guy who was a hoodlum in Philadelphia, but quite bright, academically quite bright. He was a, in a gang, ended up accidentally killing a person, ended up in jail for two to three years, came out of jail, uh, got a job academically was good. So he got a job with, I think it was the Heinz Food Factory or something, one of the food companies back there, somehow through contacts. And it's always so interesting how contacts get people where they go. He, he came over to Portland. He became uh, quite involved in the Janssen Swimwear Company. Mm. And he hooked up with Nike in the, not sure which Olympics was, 1976, 1980, some Olympics, to get Jansen to supply this, the Nike swimwear for the Olympic team. Long and the short of it, Nike recruited him out of Jansen. And he just retired a couple of years ago as the head of the Air Jordan division of wow. Nike. <laughs> and it's an intriguing story about how a guy goes from basically a hoodlum in jail to one of the top management wow. people in Nike. You call the name of it? Corbs is on it in five, four. He'll find the it. guy's name is Miller. Larry Miller. Larry Miller is the guy's name. I don't recall exactly what the book. He'll is. find the title before we're done. Yeah, that's it's awesome. Great. Just came out. Book just came out after okay. Christmas. So anyway, yeah, I read a lot. I awesome. probably read two, three books a week. Oh, wow! Doing retirement right. That's good. <laughs> okay, now you can't brush this one off as quick as you did the ketchup and macaroni. Okay, <laughs> if you do have an off day and you know you're you, you break the diet, is there a certain bag of chips that? You had the choice. Oh, yeah. No yeah. question. Okay. Kettle, salt, and vinegar. Kettle, salt, and vin. Okay. It's kettle brand, salt, and vinegar. Brown bag. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> He's visualizing it. I yeah. love it. Amazing. Is it jump? Jump. The secret journey from the streets to the board. That's it. Go. Good story. Good story. Two more questions for you before we let you go. And this has been phenomenal. Thank you for being with us. One that just came to me as we were chatting and hearing all the history and the things that you've been able to see and accomplish. If you could just give a little bit of advice to a young aspiring basketball player, what comes to your mind? Why would they want to shoot for the provincial championships like yourself, like myself? It was one of my biggest dreams when I was a kid too, you know. What has been so important in my life are the relationships. The people who I now know today who I got to know through the basketball community. Our 1956 team still gets together every Christmas awesome. for a lunch in Vancouver. Fewer of us now, but we still get together. We used to be with all the coaches. They've all passed away. And we just sit and relive. There's lawyers and there's doctors and very successful people. And, uh, and we all get together and we're still all friends and we still all support each other. Don Crago who was um, the MVP on our team that year. Uh, he went over to Alberni, played in Alberni, lived the rest of life in Alberni. Mm. Uh, I phoned on about every two, three months. He's had a stroke over there. I mm. phoned him, keep in touch with him. I keep in touch with Dave McDonald, um, guys from the 56 team. And then all through, you know, through university, I mentioned Dunk McCallum. I phoned Dunk probably every two months now, keep in touch with him. Uh, Ed Peterson, who's passed away, is another one I have a... Um, another person I've just admired so much was Bob Karkner, 
Our Bob Carpenter was down in the Richmond School District, but he was a humanitarian. He ended up receiving the Order of Canada for the work he did down in Guatemala, building orphanages and mm -hmm. what sort of thing. I've just met so many important people. I'm a little worried that that doesn't happen today. I'm a little concerned that kids don't stay close. I don't know why it is. I don't know what it is, but I don't, those lifelong friendships, I don't know what happened. I mean, Stan Stewartson and I remain lifelong friends uh, forever, you know, right up to his dying day. And um, I just worry that I'm not sure I see those things in kids today. Mm -hmm. I don't see kids coming back to the tournament. You know, back in the 60s and 70s, I don't see kids coming back to support their teams and support their schools. I don't know why. I thought the 75th anniversary dinner was really interesting because what we did is we made a real focus to invite back all the championship MVPs and, uh, and coaches and all-stars. And what was interesting is who showed up. We had Kazanowski, we had Alan Tate, uh, we had... Um, we had Billy Nickel from 1955, um, Ernie Nyhog from 1952. I mean, we had, and then we had the Suttermans and the Heidebrecks, and, and it went on and on. But afterwards, I thought, but they're all guys from the 80s back. Where are the guys from the 80s this year? And I think the only couple there was um, the Lord Tweedsmere fellow. Uh, I think he was there. Yeah, he was there. We were there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but very few younger people. And the younger people don't seem to be following the game. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Too many other distractions. Did he yeah. just call me younger? Too much else I think to he do. Did. I think I'll <laughs> chalk that one up. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there weren't. But, mm -hmm. but you know, it is interesting. Like Desborough was there with all his guys. Yeah. And uh, yeah. the, the Alder Grove guys the had a couple of guys tables. there. The Alder yeah. Grove guy, Randy Noir, and the yeah. Matt Gang were all there and the yeah. coaches. And, but it was all that 80s back sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're just so excited to come. And they, they, they phone me after, they write me after, say, what a great event it was, you know. And, uh, yeah. and we, that history is so important. I'm really concerned that, that the younger people today don't value history and traditions. Not, not just of the tournament, but of life in general. They're, they're so busy or, I don't know, not yeah. close enough to them today to know that. Yeah, you, you make a good point when I think of when we have the Fox Alumni Tournament. The guys that are still hovering around in the restaurant or in the in the courtyard are all the older guys, right? Yeah. The younger the younger guys are up and gone. So it's an interesting point, and hopefully we can make those connections and get the kids to you know. But there's no question support. in my mind the, the the thing that's had such an influence on my life are the, those lifelong friendships. I've got tons of friends every which way I go. I love that and, you uh, mentioned that. It's like whoever we've talked to on this show always mentions relationships and it's so important and it's and it's great um that you're echoing the same thoughts um not to put you on the spot but if you could in your mind think of this show is there someone who you'd like to see on this show that would be willing to do it sit down talk some hoops with us obviously john mills put the pressure on your own children put the pressure on you but is there someone that you think has a cool story I think Bob Wright would be an interesting one. Yeah. Bob Wright, you know, grew up, you know, with his dad. Of course. There's pictures of him sitting, you know, as a six or seven year old in the team photo sort of thing with his brothers. And then he 
went on to play at Simon Fraser, the really early years of Simon Fraser with John Kutnikoff, and then he was very active in the Masters League, and he's kept a lot of, a lot of friends and done very well in life with his, uh, his profession today. If he would do it, um, I just talked to him last week, and he's off to Palm Springs right now. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> Sucks but, to be uh, him, he, I guess. He might eh? be interesting. Cool. Uh, have you done Ed, Ed Summers? No, haven't had Ed. Ed Summers... I have a lot of He's respect. He's one of the most underrated. Oh, hey, yeah. Like just a, lot in of, terms of, a lot of respect. Does he have five for, titles? Uh, yeah, yeah, five titles. Yeah. Um, I think he's, no, six titles, I think. I think he's one ahead of he, Bill. Yeah. yeah. Being on the exact with him, getting to know him a little bit yeah. more. Yeah. And I think he's been in nine championship games. You know, yeah. Maybe at the double A or single A level, whatever ones it was. But he's been a very, very successful coach. And it would be interesting to just ask him about his career and how he's kept Lambert Park so so good over year after year after year yeah it was cool getting brendan graves on because that was ed's first year was when brendan arrived right and so it was pretty interesting cool this has been awesome any last kind of thoughts or reflections before we you finally be done with this and get you on your way (laughs) no it's been kind of fun it it was fun to sit down and and uh prepare for this uh to uh sit down and think about these uh these things and what uh what I might be able to offer, but um, no, I guess I just have always, um, always had such respect for the high school basketball scene and the people who've been involved. And uh, problem with the Department of Education and not allowing games and not allowing fans. And mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody, and they said, "You know what the trouble is today? The trouble is today that that the high school basketball has lost its power. It's lost its influence." I thought about it, and um, it's been a shift. I agree, and and it's a it's a fear. It's always in the back of my mind. It's something we talk a lot about on the podcast. Um, just the future, and God bless the community coaches that put the time in. But you know, I know from our program standpoint, we're getting as many alumni in the week before the provincials every year to talk about the history of the basketball program at St. Thomas More and have them build connection and talk about they're going to be in this book. If they go 0-4, four of those losses will be the year they were there or they go 2-2 two and two. and so those things and I, I hope it gets better. I hope we can ask someone in an interview as a teacher, would you be interested in coaching as opposed to not being on the table at all? Because I think schools and school culture is so important, right? We're there to learn and grow and make mistakes and part of and sport and extracurricular is a huge part of that. We're also completely biased, all of us in this room. But I think, you know, if you, you've seen so many years of experience and, and, and scenarios and things go down, you know what this means to, to the kids and coaches. And I think you make a good point to end it on. So thank you for sharing those thoughts. Thank you for being with us. This was an absolute pleasure and, and an honor of you know, Corbin and I couldn't be more thankful that you were willing to do this with us. Good. Thank you. Good luck to everyone competing at the provincial championships in 2022. I'm excited to kick them off here and, and we wish everybody health and happiness. Thank you to all the people behind the scenes, the officials, the scorekeepers, the volunteers, um, the people that make it happen. And Mr. Ken Winslade, thanks to you, sir. Thank you to our sponsors, Parkside Brewery, Good Lad Clothing. Come on out to the LEC, cheer for your team. If you don't have a team, come watch some great basketball, four tiers, an amazing venue, and well worth your while. See you on the next episode.